3617, respond to report of shots fired. The Coroner Talk podcast takes you behind the scenes with coroners, clinicians, and death investigators from around the world to provide training, news, and interviews from leading experts in the area of death investigation and scene management, bringing real stories and solid training together in one source. Now, here's your host, Darren Day. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Coroner Talk. We are still the only podcast in iTunes dedicated to the men and women working the field of death investigation. And I'm so proud of that title after four years doing a fantastic job of keeping up uh, with the death investigation community and things that we have uh, for you, the training that we have, things like that. It's been an amazing ride. So we've got a very long episode today. We're talking to Dr. Tim Huntington, affectionately known as Dr. Maggot. We're going to be talking, of course, about about entomology and some other things uh, with some generic cases and some of the simplest ways that you as an investigator can actually collect entomology evidence. But also, we're going to talk about some cases that he has worked on, which you probably have heard of, like the Kaylee Anthony case, the Molly Tibbetts case, Sterling Cohen case. All of these have been national and international news and you probably are very familiar with those. Well, he's worked on those cases, and he's going to talk a little bit about them. Uh, well, some of them he can't get too detailed with because a couple of them are still in the court system. But the case, the Kaylee Anthony case, he can talk about his testimony because and what has happened because he has uh, that that case is disposed of. And then, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about regular entomology. So. It is kind of a longer episode, so I won't spend a lot of time on announcements, only other to say it is February as this comes out live. In March of 2019, we have our online academy and our in-person academy. The in-person academy, the Medical Legal Level 1, which is now just called Medical Legal Death Investigator Course, is a four-day course, lots of practicals, lots of hands-on, and some classroom it's a fantastic course. Uh, you just go to the cornertalk.com website, click on the academy link, click on training link. You can find all of it there and all else fails. Just click on contact and ask me a question. I'll get you all the information on that. Uh, these are very, very good classes. And again, we only do the classroom medical legal death investigator course twice a year. So it will fill up and you will have to wait again until October. So contact us, get involved in that uh, course. Uh, if you've taken it before, some of it is repeat, but we've added a lot of practical. We've added another day where we talk about clandestine lab, uh, clandestine graves, and we do some lab work on bone identification, things like that. So we've added to it. So you're going to get a little bit of what you got before, but you're going to get a whole lot of new as well. So that's all the, all in the way of announcements. Let's get right into this episode with Dr. Maggot and I'll be back on the other side with a special offer for you about the magazine. Adjust your earbuds, turn up those speakers, and hang on. It's now time for this week's featured conversation. All right, welcome back. And joining me through the wonderful power of the Internet being piped into our studio today is Dr. Tim Huntington. Uh, Dr. Huntington, welcome to the Corner Talk podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And you are, I think, in um, Nebraska. Is that is that right? Yes, sir. I'm in uh, Seward, Nebraska, which is just a little bit west of Lincoln. Nice, nice. So uh, it gets pretty cold up there, I reckon. <laughs> it is very cold today. Yes, sir. So we're going to talk a little bit about entomology. So your entomology season is restricted by the Nebraska weather. So Yeah, you know, uh, I, sometimes I still get cases this time of year. You just never know. Sure, sure, exactly. So, well, I've introduced you just a little bit, but take just a moment and let our listeners know who you are and, and what you do for the university and, and uh, the fact that you're an expert witness and things like that. And then let's get into talking about the entomology collection side that investigators can do. You betcha. Uh, so I'm an associate professor of biology and criminal justice uh, here at Concordia University. Um, I'm the uh, director of the criminal justice program as well. I've been teaching here since uh, 2008. Um, I'm also a uh, board certified forensic entomologist. I've been consulting uh, since uh, the mid 2000s and um, I think I'm up to 18 states and four different countries and kind of just uh, fill in wherever I can. Well, that sounds pretty exciting. And I know that there are other forensic entomologists 
and, and other other professions as well, though, that that could do what you do as far as weighing in on cases and consulting, but a lot of them don't want to. How what kind of draws you to the interest of being a, an expert witness and consulting on cases outside of, let's say, your area? Uh, well, you know, it's kind of funny that you say that um, because I I usually see the opposite where people do want to get in, involved in cases, at least in their area, that, that maybe they don't even have the expertise to do, which is probably a whole other conversation. Um, you know, the way it works for us as entomologists is there just aren't that many of us. And so uh, I'm, I'm really the only board certified forensic entomologist in the Midwest, uh, you know, kind of west of the Mississippi here. So uh, when stuff comes up, people, you know, get on Google or they get on, uh, um, you know, other search engines to look for uh, an expert witness. And, and that, I think that's just kind of how they, they track us down eventually. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And I want to talk about some, uh, some maybe some high-profile cases probably people have heard of here in a few minutes, and I've kind of teased that at the beginning. But before before that, that's, that may be the, the icing on the cake type thing. But I want, to talk <laughs> about, you know, I want to talk about the real stuff. And what I mean by real stuff is every day us as investigators end up getting cases, you know, in our everyday work that entomology could be used in, not only in death cases, but also in 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 living cases such as abuse neglect things like that but and and i know we can't teach entomology per se on a few minutes on a podcast but there are some overview things that i kind of i kind of want to touch on Uh, sure you know so let's start here you know what are some of the let's take a set of scenario let's talk about a scene you have somebody outdoors it's you know the weather is appropriate you you have blowfly activity an investigator gets there. A lot of times you've got one of two things happen. Like you said, investigators start collecting and doing things. They don't do it right. Evidence isn't necessarily useful. Sure. Or they don't know anything and they just don't do anything. So, sure. So let's talk about some of the, again, we can't train nobody on this, but let's talk. What are some of the real cautionary basics that an investigator needs to think about when they go to a scene and they're like, I really wish I had this evidence to use? Well, it, it's the same thing, I think, as with other types of evidence. Um, one of the things that I always just try to pound home with people when I'm doing training workshops or, or just talking to people who don't know uh, about forensic entomology and it's kind of the first time they're being exposed to it, it's just, you know, look, here are some things that insects can do for you. And once you start recognizing it as evidence, um, it, it just changes your perspective. So. You know what I what I tell what I always tell people is, um, if you think about all of the evidence that you see at a, at a death investigation, um, that is is just painfully obvious. Okay, you know you see a, a cartridge casing laying there, you know that's going to be important. You know you're going to photograph it. You know you're going to collect it. You know you're going to get it to somebody. If you just treat insects the same way, as as far as recognizing, hey, this could be something useful. And maybe I should take some pictures of it. And gosh, I should really collect some of these things and then figure out who I can talk to about it. Um, I think that's that's really the biggest step. Uh, and and then after that, everything else kind of falls into place. And I think I think it it all comes back to everybody's a little bit aware of forensic entomology in death investigations. I mean, it's in all the books, and and people have been talking about it forever. Um, and we've been doing a, a better job of having people recognize it as evidence. But I think the problem comes in with, well, you know, it, we know it's important, but we don't know what exactly it can do for us. Uh, so, so maybe we're not going to treat it as important as it, as it could be. Or if all you think about is time of death estimations using insect activity and you think, well, this is a case where time of death isn't really an issue, so we don't need to worry about it, then then maybe people ignore it. And I, and I think so. It's a combination of those kinds of things. You know, I think you're right. And part of that, to add to that, is just a fear of what to do, you know, because we can collect maggots. There's a certain way to do that, to preserve them. But then people don't know things like 
taking maggot samples from multiple maggot masses, getting right. temperatures of the maggot mass, getting temperatures under and above, and and all of that. And, and it all seems confusing if you're if you're not familiar with it. But there are classes out there for the investigator, isn't there? Where I mean, I'm not talking about the entomologist. I'm talking about the oh, field oh, investigator. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, I and and I just about every other entomologist uh, working in the field that I know offer courses in, in how to do this, and and I've I know I've taught courses that range anywhere from a couple hours to several days. Um, there's you know the hands-on classes where you got the dead pigs, or or if you're at a, a human decomp facility, you know human cadavers, and 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 so actually going through the hands-on collecting, and and this is absolutely something that that can be taught um you know well before the time where you actually get to it and and every single time i've done those courses um the i've had participants say gosh if i would have only known about this you know five six ten years ago i had this case and then they go on to tell me about a case where they missed some really critical evidence because they didn't know what to do and they were overwhelmed and um just you know, didn't get the evidence. So, uh, so yeah, absolutely. There, there are courses out there for your everyday death investigator. And, and I, I encourage people to look that up and, and to take advantage of them. And, and to be honest with you, they're fun. They're, there's something outside of the norm and uh, it's, it, we usually, you know, do it as a good time. Right. Right. And we have one here in Missouri at, at our Academy, we have a surface and buried body recovery. So we talk about clandestine grave every year and uh, we bury skeletons and we bury by uh, neither training skeletons, but we bury the skeletons and we don't tell the and students where we take them to an area and, and, and based upon their training, they have to locate areas of possibility and mm-hmm. then they find those areas of possibility and then they can excavate. And that's, you know, that's forensic archaeology and anthropology. But then we also have a component to that, uh, with scattered remains on a surface bone, but we also have a component of entomology, and we yep. use dead pigs. Now, in, in our particular case, you know, it's, it's probably, it's a one day, it's, it's not a week long. I'm talking about the entomology part. The entomology sure. is one day, but it exposes them to the basics of what to do. We give them material that they can go home and refer to later, uh, some ways to order some kits and things. However... It's abbreviated. I mean, seriously, it's a it's a one day overview, and we actually get to play with some maggots and pigs and take some take some uh, evidence. But taking a multi day course that's dedicated just to forensic entomology, I think is important, especially to have somebody in each region, like maybe a a multi region corner office, you know, one detective with a multi county area that they can be called upon. That way, this evidence is actually getting collected. And and that's the way it happens, I think, is, you know, you get a big agency and they send, you know, one or two people and and then they become the go to person. Um, You know, hey, I remember you went to that course. You know, can you help us out with this this case? And, and, And the benefit of a a detailed or more intense or longer, whatever you want to call it, a training workshop like we do is, um, you know, we're, we're, we get to talk about all these different scenarios, um, different ways you see forensic entomology being used. And, and what I like about even a two day course is you can see the difference from one day to the next in the, the kinds of physical evidence, the rates of decomposition, um, usually I time it out right so that you actually see the migrating maggots coming off of a body. You know, you can see the how much change happens in, in less than 24 hours uh, on a body due to insect activity. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's definitely worthwhile worthwhile uh, a tool to have in the tool bag. Right, and I think it's important to have. So let's back up just a little bit here and and let's talk a overview, probably a thirty thousand foot view, but. Blowflies are one of the most important aspects of, at least initially, of forensic entomology. Now, we have all kinds of other stuff that goes with it. And, and on your end, there's a whole lot more things that go into it than just <laughs> blowfly maggots. I get that. You, but, you bet, yeah. But, but let's get down on just, you know, the investigator side of the fence. You know, blowflies play a big part of this. And and tell us why that is. Why are they so accurate? Uh, you know, just tell us about the blowflies and the, and the, the, the larvae and maggots, things like that. Well, sure. So yeah, the, the flies that are coming into bodies, they, 
that the sole purpose in life is is for them to reproduce uh for that next generation to have a, a, a good place to grow up and eat and stuff that's going to be good for them and, and they're just looking for dead bodies and so the the female flies are always on the lookout for a place to lay eggs and those early colonizing flies are are very very um uh astute at finding the, the fresh remains. And so as soon as something dies, they're attracted to it and they're looking for a spot to lay eggs. And, and the whole thing revolves around um, our ability to accurately estimate how old the insects are on the body. And so when we're looking at maggots and, or, or eggs or pupae or, or what have you, um, you know, we can figure out how old they are. And because that uh, time of death is so closely correlated to the time that the flies begin to lay eggs or, or begin to colonize the body. That's really what we're using as an estimation of, of actual time of death. And, and there's some, there's some things in there too, you know, so the flies aren't going to be active at night. And so those, those kinds of things can get narrowed down. But, um, but that's why they're so important is because they're, they're so keen on having, on being able to find those bodies uh, right away after death. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's just, it's like clockwork. I mean, that's, that's, you know, uh, nature works out so well. Um, and, and we're just putting nature to work for us in this case, uh, just doing what it's going to do anyways. And I know that the development is based upon temperature and Correct. so, so just give us an overview of how temperature affects the growth and the speed or decrease speed, things like that. What, and what is the base temperature that all that is based on things like that? Okay. So the, the temperature, everything it is, if you think about the chemistry of how all this stuff works and the enzymatic reactions and, and all these things that happen in biology, um, temperature works with that. And so the, the warmer it is, the faster things are going to develop and grow. And the cooler it is, the slower they're going to develop and grow. And, and so I always tell people, you know, it, it's like, it's like baking. So if you put, you know, biscuits in the oven at, at 350, it might take, you know, 16 minutes to get done. If you put it in at 325, it, it might take 18 minutes to get done. And, and if you put it in at, at 375, it might take 14 minutes to get done. And at the end, you end up with the same product. Uh, and it just changes the rates. And so with the insect and uh, temperature development, that's really what we're looking at. Um, now, there's temperatures that are going to be too hot, just like when you're baking. Um, and so, you know, you, you put it in at 500, you're going to get charcoal briquettes instead of, instead of biscuits. Um, you put it in at 150, you're going to end up with the pile of dough. And at the end, you're never going to get the, the developed stuff. So the insects work the same way. Um, and it, it, it's different for every species. And so that's one of the reasons why having the actual specimens is so important for an entomologist. Because to be honest with you, if you go to a scene and you don't actually collect anything, if, you, if all I have to go by is photographs, for example, I can still probably work with you on that and, and figure some things out, but it's not going to be nearly as accurate because I'm not going to know exactly what species we're looking at. And so then it's going to be a much, um, much more conservative range because I have to account for all of the, the variations it could be versus if I have the actual specimen, I can tell you, okay, this is what species it is. Here's exactly how fast it's going to grow and develop at these temperatures. Now we've, we've really kind of narrowed things down. So, um, so temperature is really important. And um, the, the temperatures at the scene and, and how you collect them and everything is going to be critical because, you know, it's not the temperature at the scene may not actually be accurate compared to what temperatures you find at the weather station, you know, 10 miles down the road and, and these kinds of things. So, And that's something that uh, we should take temperatures not only, you know, under the body, of the body, and all of that at the scene, but also... You know, shade comes into play of this. Here, here's an example I'm getting at is it can, it can be what you would think with the sun is beating down on the body and it's 95 degrees outside. But depending on where the area is, when the sun goes up or goes down, there can be a lot of shade over that body, which actually changes oh. the temperature during that time. Oh, right? absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of the things that, that I really try to do uh, when working with investigators on temperature is is not just to get those one time snapshots of temperature. It 
we want a range of temperatures during the day and then to also understand what exactly like things like um, uh, sun exposure or shade and 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 all of that because it, it does make such a, a tremendous difference because you got to remember you're talking about you know the body as a as a microclimate in and of itself the temperature down on the ground where the body is is going to be very different than the temperature you know about four foot off the ground where they're recording the temperatures for the weather station. If you got a, a body hanging in a tree, the temperature up at the top, you know, where the body is, is going to be different than it is on the ground. And so all of these things, it, it's kind of common sense. Um, but if you, if you don't, if you don't understand how big of a role temperature can play in things, um, you know, maybe it doesn't seem intuitive. I, I, I just recently did a case where a body was found out in a cornfield really deep into the cornfield and if anybody who's ever been out in a cornfield in the middle of summer knows that's not a place you want to hang out because it gets really hot and nasty out there and so the the temperature difference between the location where the body was discovered and the nearest weather station was was a tremendous difference um, and, and and if you don't have those numbers to account for it you're going to mess up and you're going to you're going to miss the you're going to miss the goal and I know that if we would collect evidence and send just to a forensic entomologist like yourself, uh, you're going to want to know the temperatures of around the body, but also a history of the last maybe couple of weeks or however long we're thinking. But there's also some equipment we can buy, and you can talk about it a little bit. Maybe it's just sending a deputy out there, you know, five times a day to take a weather reading. But there's also some equipment we can buy, isn't there, that we can put in the ground and just leave it there for multiple days that will give us a good indication of the temperature ranges? Oh, absolutely. And um, and this is one of those deals where, um, I, you know, guys like me have this stuff. And, and I don't – if you're working a lot of um, – uh, what would I say? Decomp cases. This would certainly be something I would really recommend. Is is you can get these uh, data logging thermocouples. Um, you know, you can get them as cheap as about a hundred bucks or so. And uh, yeah, you just leave them out at the scene. Now, I will tell you, uh, you you got to kind of camouflage them a little bit because if it's your classic, uh, you know, ten foot off of the road, you know, clandestine body dump out in the country. Um, those things tend to walk away if you don't hide them a little bit. But uh, yeah, leaving them at the scene, because what you can do is you can set it to record every hour or every 10 minutes or however often you want. Um, leave it out there for four or five days, download the data, and then you've really got an accurate representation. Um, without those things, though, yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. Um, you know, have, have a deputy, have a, you know, a death scene investigator, whoever you have at your disposal, just run out to the scene a couple of times a day. Um, I usually recommend, you know, kind of middle of the night when it's going to be cold, middle of the day, middle of the afternoon, just, just a couple of different times. Cause as long as you have an hourly weather station uh, available, you should be able to narrow those, those time frames a little bit better. And, and what you'll see is, some weather stations and some scene temperatures are going to be darn near identical. Some of them are going to be off by as much as 10 degrees. And so uh, having those data is, is incredibly useful, but yeah, those, those weather or those uh, thermocouples are, are just fantastic. And um, they really do kind of free up a little bit of time. So when it comes to accuracy of entomology and nothing's, nothing's perfect, but, but right. let's, let's talk about a perfect world here. Uh, perfect temperature, direct sun the whole time. I don't know. P pick your scenario. But, <laughs> uh, you know, can you get, if uh, all things being perfect-ish, could you back us up to the day of the death and even be able to tell us maybe if it was like before noon or afternoon or how accurate would you be able to get if you had all the data you needed? Okay, so this is a that's a great question, and and you you nailed it. I mean, it it really is depending on the scenario. So um, you always got to be careful about answering this question too, because you know once you tell people, oh yeah, I can get it down to a day or half a day, then you know that's kind of what they expect. Um, but I'll tell you, it depends on how long the body's been there. It depends on what kinds of information you have. It depends on what species are available. All of this stuff. Um, but yeah, I've had cases where, yeah, you can back it up to within, you know, within the day or the day of death. Uh, I've been able to say it was before 
you know, sunset on this day, uh, just given the circumstances for how old the insects are and, and when the person was last known to be alive, these kinds of things. Um, I've had cases where, uh, you know, honestly, I couldn't nail it down much, much better than a, than a season, um, just depending on circumstances. I, I think probably um, the, the best I've done, and, and this is kind of a weird scenario, but um, the body had been out there skeletonized and uh, just due to the fluke circumstances, I was able to, to narrow it down within about a three-day window of when she could have been killed just based on the insects that were there because of the, the killing frost that came shortly thereafter and, and all those kinds of things. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a fluke and I, I, it's, it just kind of turns out that way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you can get really accurate information, but it's as always, it's going to be garbage in garbage out. So the, the better information we have, the better we can do with it. And it's going to be entirely situational. Um, just depending on the circumstances. Well, and that's it. And that, I think, is what shies people away from actually trying to collect the evidence because if they collect the evidence incorrectly or not enough of it, they're going to have evidence that is not going to be as useful to you. Uh, sure. You know, it, it, you know, trying to collect live samples and dead samples, if they don't know how to do that, uh, if they collect the, you know, dead the, the live samples wrong and ship them wrong, and then then so so I think they're worried about the, not uh, maybe fragile is not the word as in breaking, but fragile as in if I don't handle this just right, we're gonna we're gonna mess it up because you you collect live you collect live maggots build your little maggot motels and do everything perfect and then leave it in the trunk of your car for two days while you're headed to Nebraska to to drop them off with you that can change a lot of stuff. Well, sure, and, and but you know I, as I always tell people, I would rather get bad samples than no samples. Um, I would I would rather people at least attempt to collect the evidence, um, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those things. And, and I always tell people this when we, when we look at cases, you know, from, from skeletal cases, for example, you know, if you don't know what a, a fly pupa looks like and you're worried about collecting, you know, deer droppings and sticks and, and seed casings and all these other things that I've gotten samples, don't worry about it. You know, I would rather get, bad samples and just kind of, you know, swear under my breath and, and say, well, I can't use this because, but, but it gives me something, um, versus, you know, Hey doc, we had this, uh, this case with maggots and everything, but we didn't collect anything. Here's some pictures. Can you, can you kind of tell us what you think? Right. Um, so, so don't be, don't be scared about it. And, and, and the other thing is, I don't care what time of day it is. If it's the middle of the night, just call, you know, uh, j- just call, call a guy like me, call, call. I, I think any of us really that are on, on the board and, and we'll be able to walk you through this, um, or at least tell you, okay, here's some things you should be looking for. Here's what not to waste your time on. Uh, because like I said, if, if you, if you don't do it, you're going to potentially lose useful evidence and, and also, I guess I should throw this out there. It's not to say that insects are going to be extremely helpful in every single case. Um, certainly, I, I always tell people, you know, I'm not expecting you to go out and catch every ladybug and and uh, mosquito that happens to be hanging around a death scene. Um, but in some cases, it it's going to be the evidence that really does change a case and, and provide important evidence. So um, if you treat every case as if it's going to be important, then you're going to be less likely to to miss things, right? And I think every case should be treated that way. And and I like the oh, way absolutely. you said that. And I think that's true. It, do the best you can on on every case. You know, today you could take there's some online courses on this, I think. But the, the, you know, you could take some short courses like we've already talked about. But a lot of companies like, and I'm just going to throw them out there. I don't know, Lynn Lynn PV and Searchy mm-hmm. and other ones like that. Uh, they have kits. And sure. these kits also have instructions. Sure. Now, some of them you can you can you can buy a book, you can download information, you can buy these kits along with some instructions. And pretty much, if you would just go to point A and go all the way through Z, you'll collect evidence and do a pretty good job of it because it walks you through it. 
It, it does. And, uh, and yep. And I, I know the kids you're talking about. I, I've actually gotten to the point now where, you know, I, I've, I've really tried to dumb it down as much as possible. And I, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful or derogatory way. Um, but, you know, this is going to be one of those things that you're probably not going to use real often, right? And unless you're, I don't know, blessed to be in, in a place where maggoty bodies show up three times a week, um, it, it's, you're just not going to use these skills every day. So if you have uh, UA cups, urinary analysis cups, um, you're, you're halfway there, and then um, some alcohol. You know, I, I tell people, just, just go to the liquor store, buy a bottle of Everclear. You got Everclear and UA cups. That's really all you need to collect the evidence that I'm going to have you collect. Um, if you can't get Everclear, there are other alternatives. You know, um, it, it, I guess you need a thermometer. But there you go. So you got a thermometer, UA cups, and, and some alcohol. You're set. Um, because my, my big push has been, uh, when I'm, when I'm training death investigators is to, to really try to get it as simple as possible, because when you break it down to that level, there really isn't a reason you shouldn't be just grabbing samples and, uh, and, and they're good samples is you're not shortcutting anything. Um, you know, it, it's going to be everything I need to, uh, uh, to use the evidence. So, um, so yeah, it really doesn't have to get super complicated. Um, you know, there's directions in books and online and you can get the kits. Um, I, anymore people just email me and say, Hey, can you, can you give me, you know, just a, an easy how to guide and, and not just send them a PDF, you know, cause I, I would rather you have that information, collect the stuff and send it to, you know, another forensic entomologist than to not collect it and lose potential evidence. Right. And just trying something again. We keep saying, oh, just try something. You know, so how, you know, collecting, you know, maggots, kill, and killing them in alcohol, things like that is fine. Uh, how do you recommend to kill? Just put them straight in alcohol. I know there's, you know, again, you're getting harder if you try to use boiling water or whatever. But if you're yep. just going to kill them in in alcohol at the scene, you're talking what? about Everclear. But let's say we don't have Everclear. Can we just use regular rubbing alcohol out of the medicine cabinet or should we use the ethanol? Well, rubbing alcohol is not as good. Um, I have certainly gotten specimens in rubbing alcohol and, and it, it, it's okay. Um, but ethanol is really the best thing to use. Um, you know, any, to be honest with you, any high proof alcohol will work. Um, and, and so... I've had deputies, you know, run home to their liquor cabinet and grab a bottle of whiskey or scotch or, or whatever. And it works, you know, because what happens is I'll get the sample in my, in my lab and I'll transfer it over to a, to a more appropriate preservative because, you know, shipping it overnight, FedEx or, or hand delivering it the next day or two, it, it's not going to make a big enough difference uh, being in a less than ideal preservative um, then, you know, putting it in 95% ethanol lab grade stuff. Uh, when I went to Australia, uh, to work on a case, I couldn't, I couldn't buy real high proof ethanol in the liquor store. So I just got cheap vodka and it works just fine. So, um, and just dropping them straight in there kills them just fine. Um, I always tell people they dance around in the alcohol because they're happy and drunk. Um, it doesn't kill them right away. Like, like boiling water does the, in the boiling water trick also, I mean, that's something I do in the lab, but I would never expect anybody in the field to do that because it's too big of a pain in the butt. Um, and as soon as I start putting up barriers or, or making things more difficult, you know, your guys' job is already hard enough. So if I start putting up, um, you know, barriers to say, Hey, no, look, you need to go and you need to buy this special equipment. You need to do this, you know, song and dance before you can collect this evidence and yada, yada, yada. It, people are, they're just not going to do it. And, uh, and then as the working on my end in the interpretation side of things, as long as you preserve it in something other than, you know, I got a sample one time in water, uh, a pathologist, put uh, some maggots in a, in a vial of, of uh, distilled water and, and guess what? They didn't preserve, but I was still able to use the evidence even though it was not in good condition. So, so getting it 
is more important than um, the way you get it, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. Right. I, I agree with that. And as easy as easy as it is, again, I, I don't want to shortcut it, but I think people make it a lot harder than it is. Now, will you get a case that there's probably five or six things or five or six pieces of information you wish you had more of? Yes, probably if the person hasn't been really, really trained in it. But it's not as scary and as hard as what people think, especially with especially with the fact that you can have the, the kits with the instruction, things like that. Just take samples from multiple uh, areas of the body. Make sure you say, I took this from the head. I took this from the stomach. I took this from, you know, and just collect up more than two, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and, so. and honestly, if in doubt, just, just call, yeah, you know, exactly. uh, I, I can, I can talk anybody through it, you know, over the phone. And, uh, it, it's, it's, yeah, just, if you ever have questions, that's the easiest way to do it. Right. Um, so how yeah. important is it to keep live samples? So it's easy to collect the dead. We've already talked to, or yeah, to kill them. It's easy to talk about that. But sure. Live samples. Is that really, really important? And if so, what's the best way for us amateurs to do that? So live samples are one of those things. And here again, you know, I've, I haven't eliminated collecting live samples, but live samples are just handy and they're handy for me. They're not handy for you. So, and the reason I say that is because I'm not going to rear the maggots out in the lab and use that as a time of death estimation because it doesn't work. And the research has shown that it doesn't work that way because of the changes that are happening in the food source and the physiology and it, it just changes the way they grow and develop. So all I'm doing it for is to make identification easier. Now, if it's a case where the the maggot and and so all this this means is the maggots pretty much all look the same at some level. Now, of course, I can identify them underneath the microscope, but um, having the samples and growing them in the lab just just makes confirmation of the identification better for me. Um, if they're eggs or first stage maggots, it, there's not really a, a great way to identify those to species. And so there it's going to be a little bit more important, but to be honest with you, um, when you're, when you're at that level, the difference between the various species and, in what, you know, how old the, how long it takes the eggs to hatch or, or how long it takes for them to go through the first stage of development that, it's it's so close. It really it, you start getting into the splitting hairs area. So um, so what I always tell people is, you know, if you send me samples, I'm happy. If you send me samples, you know, with live samples and they're good and and, and all that stuff, then you know I'll send you a Christmas card or something because it it just makes my job easier. And then the best way to do it is to take some 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 raw meat. Um, I prefer beef liver because it it smells less than something like hamburger does. Uh, you could use you know as fancy a stuff as you want and get the center cut you know pork steaks or whatever. It, it's really not necessary to get that crazy. Um, and and then put them in a container with the food source. Um, I use the maggot motels, the the classic uh, uh, tin foil kind of envelope for holding them in there, just because they like that dark and it keeps it moist and it it makes the maggots happy. Um, you know, put them into that container anymore. When I get cases um, here, you know, local that I'm going to get overnighted, um, a lot of times I'll just have them just throw them into a into a dry container. And uh, just send them that way, not even worry about the food source, because the in the time it takes for me to get a FedEx overnight shipment, they're going to be alive. They're going to be happy. I'll just stick them on some meat when they get here. They start eating. They're fine. And and again, it's because it's just for identification, it doesn't matter if the development changes or anything. And the only caveat is, and I'm only saying this because I've seen it happen, is don't cut off part of the body and send it with the maggots. And I know that sounds stupid, but apparently that's not common sense in, in some instances. Okay, so let's back up. <laughs> so actually dissecting part of the of the human body to keep the maggots in feeding so the maggots can continue to feed while they send to you. You know, I got the sample and I said, hey, thanks for the sample. Thanks for the insects. You know, the, the live maggots look great what you know i remember what i said 
but I asked the question, I, I, I could not figure out what they were eating. Cause you know, it didn't, it wasn't beef liver. It wasn't hamburger, you know? And, uh, I, I said, what, what did you put them on? And, uh, the, the investigator says, Oh, that, that's a cheek. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, yes, yeah, cheek off the body. So yeah, please, please don't do that. Well, but you know, I, I agree. I agree. Let's not do that. However, think about the ingenuity. He knew oh, he no, wanted to yeah, keep him alive. Yeah. And he thought, hey, this body is nearly decomposed. We're not going to have an open casket funeral anyway. So Absolutely. I need to preserve these. And what better to, to not disturb them as just, let's just cut a hunk out and send to the dock. Well, you know what? I have to give him credit. Well, you know, and honestly, it was just one of those things I I I, I thought about it and I said, you know, I, I'm just not set up to, uh, to handle, you know, human remains in this particular lab setting. And it's so thankfully the maggots ate the whole thing and I didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. And the, the, the thing is that a human remains or beef liver, I know there is, um, I know it's different and I know it's, it's thought of differently. But it's a chunk of meat, it's a chunk of meat. And I know we have to, you know, there we, we have to honor the dead. And, and I'm not anyway trying to desecrate a body in any way. But, you know, you're still dealing with a decomposing piece of meat when it comes to your lab. It's going to oh, stink ab- regardless. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is. It's exactly the same. And if I didn't ask, I wouldn't have known. Right. So. Right. You don't ask no more. <laughs> So let's move on here and talk about some cases as much as you can. I know that because of your consulting, you've been involved in some pretty high-profile cases uh, like Kaylee Anthony and Molly Tibbetts. Uh, These are cases that have made national, international news. Uh, You've been involved in those on the entomology side, and and, and I don't know where the restrictions come in and what you can talk about and not talk about. I know Kaylee's been disposed of a long time ago, but, but as an overview, how did... For those that don't know the details, details of the Kaylee Anthony case, how did entomology play a role in that? And how did you come in and what was your role, I guess, in that investigation? Sure. So, yeah, pretty much any time you have a body um, that has been dead for more than a day or two, uh, you really have to think about insects because um, the number one thing that we do is time of death. Um, but we can also, um, you know, answer questions regarding location of death, uh, cause and manner of death, uh, answer questions about, you know, who the suspect might be and, and just really all kinds of different aspects about the investigation. So, um, so anytime you hear about a case where there's a person's been missing or found after a period of time, you know, entomology is certainly one of those things uh, that can come up. And so um, in the Anthony case, it, it, it came up uh, in a couple of different ways. And, and um, uh, I was contacted by the defense team uh, right when they found the body or that night, I guess, the, after the uh, investigators found the body. And um, I was asked to, to answer questions, really anything I could tell them, primarily dealing with time of death. Um, and, uh, and in that case, there was actually two kinds of, of components of the entomological evidence. And uh, if, if you remember the case at all, but there were the insects associated with the scene um, where the body was actually recovered. And then um, there was the insects that were associated with the trunk of the, of the suspect's vehicle. Um, and the, uh, the, the stuff that was in there. And, and, and so that was, that was kind of what I was asked to, uh, to answer questions about. And that ended up, you know, you had testified in court on that as well, I guess. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I testified for seven and a half hours. Yeah. So was, was the evidence in the trunk more important to their case than the body or did, did, did and you were talking about defense here or did they, use both of them to try to make their case. Well, you know, in, in, the so the, the evidence from the scene really the, the, both the Neil Haskell, who's the prosecution uh, uh, expert, both of us said the same thing uh, about the, the evidence from the scene. It, the body decomposed somewhere else. Um, it didn't, didn't spend its entire time at that location. Um, his time of death estimate was a lot more narrow than mine because it, it just, there wasn't enough there to narrow it down any more than I could. Um, but, but that really wasn't the, 
the major portion of it. So the defense really, um, or, or rather my testimony seemed to really revolve around the evidence from the trunk. And, and to be honest with you, the insects from the trunk, uh, well, they weren't recovered from the trunk. They were recovered from a bag of garbage that had been in the trunk that was then in a dumpster for eight hours before it was actually collected. Um, so there was that minor faux pas. And the insects that were associated with the bag of garbage were not specific to dead bodies at all. They were scuttleflies, which are flies that you find on feces and garbage and, and all these. They're common, basically common kitchen flies. And you do find them on dead bodies, but there was nothing specific about the evidence that was in the trunk or the garbage or, or the insects that were there that meant that there was a dead body in the trunk. And so uh, I spent an inordinate amount of time discussing that and basically just repeating myself, look, you've got trash eating bugs from a bag of trash. There's nothing extraordinary about that. And, and the prosecution should have known better than, than to try to make that argument. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, and, and I'm not saying that there, there never was a body, you know, and I'm not saying that it's just, you can't use that evidence to try to, to try to link it to a dead body. It just doesn't work. Right. And I don't, I don't know the details of the case, but if they're not finding, human decomposition fluids and things like that in that trash or in that trunk, then again, that, that seems weird. The prosecution would go that way. And again, I, I do not know those details, but just if it's just garbage and household garbage, uh, that that's going down the wrong rabbit trail. Well, and, and, and that's the cool thing about the entomology stuff is sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll get involved with a case and people don't really know what to expect, right? You've got, you got bugs at a scene and maybe there's a dead body. Maybe it's a live body, just, just whatever. You got these insects. And so you might be thinking that I'm going to tell you one thing. And then you look at them and say, well, no, I can't really say anything about this because it doesn't mean anything. Or you, you can really change kind of the perspective um, of what it actually means in, in kind of unexpected ways. And, and that just, that's just, how it works you know that's why um you never know how important it's going to be until you actually start looking at it right now kaylee anthony is the young victim three years old i believe and correct casey anthony was the mom correct that got charged and if if i remember correctly casey got found not guilty yeah yeah she was uh found not guilty of of the murder yep right but didn't she get uh charged with like lesser crimes like improper disposal or something like that or you know, it wasn't an improper disposal, um, and I think that's because that law may not have been on the books at the time in I Florida. I'm, I'm not really sure how that worked out. Um, I, as memory serves, and to be honest with you, I didn't really pay that close attention other than to the bug stuff. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure she got convicted of uh, basically falsifying information, lying to the police kind of things, right, right. and uh, spent an additional you know, week or two in, in jail after uh, after the hearing. Sure, sure, yeah. So, but again, high-profile case. This is where entomology was called in. Now, Neil Haskell, um, he's like the godfather of bugs. Yeah, know? yeah. Neil, Neil's Neil. Neil's was was my mentor for sure. Yeah, yeah. and I and I've uh, you know got his books, and I've been to some of his training, and and you know he's like Doctor Bass to entomology. It, yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. And that's, so, that's so right. He's really kind of a neat guy. Um, so, but. Um, and so for prosecution to bring him in, and of course, you uh, th- again, entomology played a part in a big case. Now, let's talk a little, just a little bit about the Molly Tibbetts case. Okay, what sure. did What did entomology play there? What was your role? Was Dr. Haskell involved in that as well? Kind of give us an overview. Uh, well, I, I, I got to be careful about what I say because, of course, it's still an ongoing case. Certainly, um, yes. But, uh, you know, Molly Tibbetts was, uh, had been missing, um, and uh, I do... All of the the cases for the state of Iowa, um, the state medical examiner's office in Iowa has me on retainer for those. And um, the uh, Omaha office FBI was also involved in the case. And they they basically called me up and said, hey, doc, um, I don't know if you know about this case, but we're out looking um, if we find her. You know, and it's been it's been a, a I don't remember how many how, how long it had been after she went missing, uh, but if we find her, we're going to call you right away and have you come to the scene. Um, so I was kind of on standby there for a while, and and um, and so you know, without getting into details, uh, anytime you've got a body that's that's been deceased for more than about a day or so, entomology is going to be 
crucial for uh, estimating time of death. Um, in this case, uh, there's going to be some other things that come out of the entomology, but I, I can't get into the details about it. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's another one of those cases, and and, and this is just kind of it, it's it's one of those cases that is high profile, um, but it's it's not terribly unlike a lot of other cases um, where you know people go missing and, and show up well after the fact, or um, you know somebody's found after an accident or or a, a homicide or a suicide or something like that. And so it, it's, yeah, it's, it's just kind of, a, um, I don't, I don't know what to say about it, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, when it goes to trial. And, and I understand it's going to be here in a couple months that that's going to come up. Well, and, and, you know, Molly Tibbetts is, is a, you know, it's, it's made national and international news because of the suspect or because of oh, the suspect's, oh, absolutely. you know, absolutely. His, stat, his immigration status. Uh, it, it's, it's everyday kidnap, murder, throw in the ditch. I mean, you know, that happens all over the country in every state. Uh, but this is a high profile because we've got these political immigration issues. And so now that's really in the news. Absolutely. And, and what's interesting about it is, um, you know, here in Nebraska, it was big news because, of course, she's right across the border in Iowa, um, and uh, it, it's it is it is like a lot of other stories. But I think the other thing that makes it um, especially intriguing or, or or sensational is that it's everything that your parents ever warned their daughters about. Right? Be careful when you go out running. Um, you know, watch who you talk to and this kind of stuff. And, uh, poor girl gets snatched up off the street and, and, uh, winds up murdered. You know, it's, it's, it's just a tragic case. Right. Right. Oh yes. And, and, and I know we're going to, it's and once the trial starts, everybody's going to, you know, be hearing about it again. But again, there's another case where entomology can, can play a role in this, in this prosecution and defense because the bugs were present. Insects Absolutely. were there, and and so again, you're gonna collect the shell casing, you're gonna collect the ligature, you're gonna collect the knife, whatever it is. The bugs are part of the most important piece of evidence at the scene, which is the body, and the insects are part of that evidence. And so again, we collect everything else, and that's that's what I'm trying to get the listeners to understand is there you can collect the evidence even if you're a little shy about it it's not that hard to do some and here you know here's two big high profile cases yes the fbi was in, is involved with with tibbets and and um yeah of course they're calling you in and all that but just the everyday missing person in in anywhere you know anywhere in nebraska is going to have entomology evidence that can play a big role one last thing i want to talk about entomology evidence is alive so and as coroners, of course, we deal with the dead, but we also have a lot of police officers, DMS, listen to the show. Entomology can also come into play when we're dealing with a live victim in cases such as abuse and neglect, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's much more common than, than people really think that it is. Um, and here recently, I, I've just had a spate of them. And, um, and it's the same kinds of things, right? So um, figuring out how long has that time period been is really kind of the number one thing that, that we get involved with with that. Uh, and so um, here's, a, here's a case. It's, it's been in the news recently, um, the, the death of Sterling Cohen over in, in Iowa. Um, this is a, a case of an infant, a little four-month-old boy who was essentially neglected to death. And um, the, the father's case uh, has already wrapped up. He was convicted of first-degree murder, uh, sentenced to life in prison. Mom's case is currently going through right now. Um, and I got involved in that case from the death investigation part of it because they have a dead, a dead child with maggots on him. And so they, they called me up and asked me to do a time of death estimate. And right away, I looked at, at the insects and, and it, all the, the, the factors surrounding it and, and quickly called them and said, hey, guys, this is not a time of death postmortem infestation. This is a, a prior to death uh, antemortem infestation, um, which is called myiasis. Myiasis is when you get maggots on live people. And um, so I was actually able to determine how long it had been since the child's last diaper change. And um, that was pretty critical in, in 
bumping it up to a first degree murder case rather than just a, a neglect case. Um, it happens in elderly people. It happens in infants. It happens in anybody who's uh, wheelchair bound or, or in nursing homes, things of that nature. A lot of them end up civil um, in civil disputes. And so I, I do a lot of those cases, but yeah, neglect and abuse cases are, are, are just, they're one of those things that it's going to be one of those ways that you can actually definitively prove this is how long this has happened. And, um, you know, people who say, yeah, I, I, I was cleaning out grandma's bed sores three times a day, you know, cleaning it out. There was nothing there when I last looked and now there's maggots in it that had to have been just a couple hours ago. And then you look at them and say, no, that they've been there for four days, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it is absolutely important to think about that. Um, so anytime you have insects, you you can, there's, there's probably something they can tell us. Right. And just, just having maggots on a live human is bad enough. So someone's going to, someone, if, if they have to be cared for, then someone is responsible for caring for them. That's problem number one. Right. So, but uh, as in the Sterling case, you know, here's an example of this has been the neglectful situation, which increase the severity of the crime, uh, you know, to first degree. Uh, and again, not just in what you were saying, you know, I cleaned the bed sores out two hours ago. Uh, no, this has been, not only is it a problem that your grandma has these, but it's obvious that you've been neglecting her for multiple days. Now, exactly. Now, not only, or a nursing home. That I could see where that could be a huge civil situation when you're not checking on your patients and they've got a multiple stage infestation. Um, then obviously the nursing home, has has been neglecting their patients and that's it that's a huge issue but um you know the, a lot of the I, I could just not imagine being alive and having maggots now i do know that there are some medical treatment where some maggots are used for infection purposes not a lot in the united states but do you know what i'm talking about oh absolutely yeah and and so uh, that's that's therapeutic myiasis or sometimes called maggot therapy and, and the interesting thing is it's usually the same exact flies, right? So the same blowflies that that show up and infest a wound that that's been neglected, the same ones that show up on a dead body are the same ones they use for for treatment purposes. And so in kind of this this weird dichotomy, the the infestation itself is probably beneficial in most instances. Now, if you're not changing somebody's diaper and they get maggots living in, in the feces and, and no, that's not beneficial, but um, in a necrotic wound, the, the infestation is actually probably beneficial to the person. However, it is definitely a neglective care situation. Like you said, the nursing home's not doing its job if the patients end up with maggots in their bed sores. So while there is not necessarily a medical, um, what do I want to say? A, a medical issue in the, you know, the, they're not receiving any real harm from it. It may actually be beneficial, but definitely a standard of care problem. Right. But in the case where they purposely infest a wound with maggots, that is for the purpose of eating out some infection and some dead tissue and things like that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and it, because they only eat dead tissue. Um, we don't have maggots in the United States that that actually uh, infect and and uh, eat live tissue in the same in the same way. If you go to South America, um, that's that's a little bit different. But um, but yeah, it's only eating dead tissue. It is absolutely beneficial um, from the the uh, the the medically induced side. And uh, if I had a necrotic wound, I'd I'd be the first one to do it. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just kind of funny that it, it is the exact same flies and, and the same results if sure. if you pay somebody to put them there versus they just show up. Sure. And, and so once the uh, and this is this is an area that I'm not 100 percent familiar with, but I do know that maggots feed on dead flesh. So let's say you have a wound that needs that and you have the infestation. It's, it's feeding on the dead flesh infection, things like that. Once it gets that out of there uh, and, and, and in a quick enough amount of time that there's no more flesh dying, do uh-huh. the maggots then just want to fall, just leave and fall off and leave regardless of their instar stage? They just are no longer interested or what happens? 
Yeah, they, they actually lose the ability to eat it. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're just going to be stuck there. And, and so in medical usages, they, they actually remove them uh, at that point. Um, and in fact, when they infest the individual, they'll put the maggots on, let them feed for a day or two, take them off, put new maggots on. Right. Uh, they usually don't let them get to that third stage or that third sure. instar. And that's um, just mo- they monitor them in a medical situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the maggots are fantastic because they're secreting their own antibiotics. They're uh, stimulating tissue growth uh, because of the movement and, the, and, and everything like that. And just, and just really cleaning things up. And, and people have been doing this since Napoleonic times and before uh, where battlefield surgeons you know, have been noticing the, the benefits of, of maggot infestations. So while I'm not necessarily promoting people, let their injuries get to that point, let it occur naturally it's not a bit, it's not always a bad thing unless it's a symptom of neglect. Right. Right. Certainly. Yeah. You don't want, you don't want to, you know, if you're, you're injured or you're stuck out somewhere and, and it happens and it may be a good thing while it, but you don't want to purposely wait for that to happen. Go get medical treatment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but, but again, the, the, the reason I wanted to bring that up is, you know, there's where, like you said, it's the exact same blowfly maggots that are eating the, 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 the flesh of a live person, both, therapeutically, neglectfully, and in criminal death cases. And so it's, it's interesting to know that there's a large a gamut of, of entomology, forensic entomology uh, study out there. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Uses, I guess, that's not just about the body found in Hayfield. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it, I've done cases looking at, you know, insects off of the front of a car, you know, to, to show... Uh, transportation of drugs across state lines. Um, I've done cases where there are no insects and the absence of insects actually proved to be really critical in uh, proving some facts about the case. And so, yeah, it's one of those deals where there's so many different things uh, that we can do with, with the insects, or I guess in some cases, the lack of insects. Um, and you just, you just never know uh, until you really kind of start investigating it. Right, right. It's, it's a fast, it is a fascinating science for sure. So we're kind of long on our time here, uh, Dr. Huntington. So I'm going to go ahead and, and, and say goodbye, let you go. But I want to, uh, before I go, I'll tell you, I appreciate you taking the time to pour into our audience and talk. And if, I think you probably have a public email address that if any of our listeners wants to send you an email or to get more information, what would be the best way to contact you? Yeah. So uh, the, the best email for, for any of this kind of stuff is just Dr. Maggot, D-R period, M-A-G-G-O-T at gmail.com. Uh, Dr. Dr. Maggot uh, uh, at Gmail. Just make sure we put a period after the DR, correct? I, th- I think so, yep. yeah. Yeah, I think that's how it is. So anyway, again, thank you for coming on the show and spending some time talking to us. Uh, valuable information. And I just want to implore the listeners to start studying on their own and taking a course and learning about this so that they can get in contact with you or another board-certified entomologist and be able to use in the cases that they have. You betcha. That's yep. that's what we're here for. Yeah. All right. Well, you have a wonderful rest of your day. Appreciate it, sir. You too. All right. I'm back with you. And if you're still with us or whether you've left and came back, welcome to the end of the show. I know it was a long episode, but there's a lot of good information there. And I know that you gained a lot from him. So he's very approachable, very easy to talk to, and he's a great instructor. That's what makes uh, that episode so good is that he's so easy to to talk to and kind of just down to earth. And so I really appreciated him coming on the show. I told you at the front of the show, I was going to talk about a special offer for the Death Investigator magazine. If you have not gotten the Death Investigator magazine currently, you can. it's a digital magazine, iOS, Android, either one. Sometime in 2019, we're likely going to be able to have it available like on your desktop or laptop. Right now, it has to be an app form, iPad, tablet, phone, things like that. So if you download the app now, you get a free, episode, a free issue. See, podcasts or episodes magazines are issues and so i have a hard time flipping back and forth to those but as of right now if you will download the the app on your ios or android device be it a phone or a tablet you get a free issue you can read the magazine you get everything the magazine has to offer everything is all the clicks all the hyperlinks all of that is active including all the articles if you like it 
then you may decide you want to subscribe, but I'm going to let you have a free issue first so that you can try before you buy. And of course, if you have any questions or anything about the magazine, let us know also if you have conferences or seminars coming up that you would like to have other people know about, we will list those in the magazine for free. We have a page, a section just for conferences. And so people can find their area and find training going on in their area. So if you're organizing that, send us an email, let us know all the details to it. And that's just free advertising for your organization. And we'll be glad to do it because we want to bring everybody together. And that's what this magazine is all about. So without any further keeping your earbuds stuck into your ear here, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to wish you a very, very nice day. Remember, as I always say, find a way to be a blessing to someone. Remember, you bless people around you. It'll come back to you tenfold. Until next week, everyone, be safe. Thanks for listening to Coroner Talk, a DSPN media production. Visit our website at coronertalk.com. And be sure to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash coroner training. 3617-1024 scene on route to morgue.